It's the Staley Bridge Celtic Lockdown Podcast, sponsored by Olds Beer and More and the Celtic Beer Hut. Aha! Stay tuned for more. This is Staley Bridge Celtic Lockdown Podcast, featuring Grant Shenton, um, sponsored by Olds Beer and More and uh, the Beer Hut at Staley Bridge. Is that right? Yeah. You can find all the follows for social media on Twitter. Go, go and give them a follow. We're on episode five of the Service Celtic Lockdown podcast and we're joined by uh, Grant Shenson. So I'd just like to welcome Shenson onto the podcast. Cheers, um, We're going to talk about his career and um, how, it, how it is so far and what, and what we're looking forward to in the future with Grant Shenton. So, um, Shents, just tell me a little bit. You, you're a goalkeeper. Um, how does it come about that a goalkeeper... Um, that doesn't have a professional background, has such a good career in, in non-league and you started at FC, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's, it, like you say, it's quite unique. I mean, I've never been at a pro club. Um, people who know me will know that. It's always just been non-league football for me. And I think, to answer your question about how you can be successful, I think that in itself is the reason why. Because I've only ever been around grown men playing football, I think as a keeper. It's huge um, to developing your game. The earlier you play with the physical side of the game, especially the keeper, like you said, the demands you've got uh, physically and mentally, the earlier you face all that adversity during the game, it's only going to hold you in good stead. I mean, I've had a very brief spell recently with Bridge, but my last spell with Bridge, I think you, you'll notice that from when I came in. I was still relatively young at that point um, and probably still a wet behind the ears in some ways. But I think the mental side of my game is definitely one of my strongest points, which I'd, I'd like to say is the reason why I've had a successful non-league career and continue to have, hopefully. So you you started out at FC United. Um, how did it come about that you, you ended up there? Did, did you did you always play as a goalkeeper when you was in like your say your youth before you started going into men's football? Yeah, yeah, really no. Um, like I'd always played in net. Like I don't want people to think that I was just an outfield player and a keeper. I've always played in net, but I've, all, I've done both um, at different standards. Like when I was at college, which was a good standard of football at college, like I said, with all, um, I started in net. But because we trained every day, there's only so much you can do as a keeper training every day. So I used to get involved with outfield players, and then it just came about that when it came to my last year of college, I kind of. I wouldn't say I got bored of playing in that in college. Well, I'd say, do you know what I did? I'm not going to lie to you. I got very bored of playing in that at college, uh, doing it every day. I enjoyed it on a weekend because I was a lot more busy. But at college, the standard was a bit different. So I was probably not as busy in that. And I was a fit lad back then. <laughs> be hard to believe now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I used to play out and that. I played up front and I, and I absolutely loved it. I even played center half a few times as well. And I think that helps my game as a keeper as well. I mean, you might back this up. Um, I'd definitely say I back myself with my ability uh, with my feet um, and that comes from playing at centre-half and understanding where I want to be as a keeper uh, when I played centre-half where I want my keeper to be I suppose and it only helped my game so at FC United it was a funny one because I was at Main Road at the time on a weekend uh, on a Saturday in and out of the first team Greg Ald who's at Nantwich now he was the first team keeper at Main Road when I went down originally um, and Greg was fantastic when they were like helping me out. He knew he, Greg was always, always singing my praises to everybody that he ever spoke to, and I can't thank him enough for it because it did help me early on 
like I say, get into FC once because I had a fallout with the manager at Main Road. So he was pivotal in speaking to the people who were already at FC, like um, Jerome Wright was there at the time, he was a good mate of Greg's. So it's just familiar faces for me as well. And it helped me embed in the first team at FC. And the lads at FC were fantastic with me because I was a young keeper, but I, I don't think many people would argue at the time that I probably could have got into the first team if Sam Ashton weren't the best keeper in non-league at the time. I think I probably would have had a better chance. So it, it was good. And then I got given a couple of chances to play in some important games, which was massive for my confidence and early stage of my career. Like I said, at such a young age, it was brilliant, really good before I went over to Ramey. So we, we move on to Rami, and it, it, it's, it's quite a long spell. I think you've got the record there for the appearances, something like that. Um, yeah, two, two, two seven, seven, nine. Mm. Yeah. Um, how come how come Rami ended up signing you uh, after having limited opportunities at FC United? Well, it was because of the mid games on a Sunday at the time at FC. Um, there's a chap in Manchester called Steve Oren. Um, he's well known in like, middle and Manchester area and he come up to him because there was a couple of lads who were playing at FC United at the time Jake Cottrell uh, Dave Neville Lee Neville um, Tunji Moses who were all playing on a Sunday for, for Steve Oren uh, and they were called Langley Selick and the, that Sunday team was better than most non-league teams on a Saturday it was just made up of the best non-league lads from Manchester all playing on a Sunday it was unbelievable and uh, we had a game at Salford City on the Sunday night, the Champions competition, Sunday League. And Bernard was there watching the game. Um, at the time, he'd just got the job in the John. I think they were about 24, 25, both of them, obviously getting managers' job. It's unheard of at that age. Um, especially at such a club like Rammer, where prior to John and Bernard, they'd only ever had experienced heads doing the job. So, yeah, so Bernard approached me then, um, asked me what I was doing on a Saturday, because obviously I was just sat on the bench at FC at the time. But it was towards the end of that season. So I, that was their first year at Ramsbottom. So I didn't join them at that point. Um, and then the season started again the following year. And I'd had a couple of, pre- I'd had a few games pre-season at FC. And I think I believed in my own hype a little bit. And I thought I was probably going to get in front of Sam Ashton. Very naive of me to think that. But I, I definitely had that belief. And I think that's maybe naivety, but a lot of belief in myself, I suppose. Because I did think I was good enough to do it. Um, missed a couple of, I didn't start the first few games. Rami started their season, I started my season. Um, I had one pre-season game as well with New Mills. I was going to go down to New Mills as well, pre-season. Um, but I just didn't enjoy it. I went there for one game. And I just didn't like the environment around there. It's no disrespect to New Mills. It's just I didn't drive at the time either. Bit out of my way. Didn't know anybody there. Um, probably weren't going to be for me. And the only other team going for that league at the point was New Mills and Rams. But and those were the two clubs looking to win the North West Counties at the time. Um, and then did Rami approached me to go down and then we reached like an understanding. It was a dual reg, basically, dead yeah. simple. I was signed on to the FC, but I could, I could play for Rami. So I went down to Rami and I was on half the money that New Mills had offered me. So it was it was definitely more about what was better for me. I didn't even think about the finances at that point. I was too young to even understand. I mean, I was only getting 15 quid when I was at main road and I'd gone from 15 to 40 quid at Rami. I was like, woo, drinking tokens. That's all <laughs> I was thinking about. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I went down to there and then the first season there, I went down and watched the game against Formby, I think it was. Um, spoke to the manager in the pub after the game, spoke to like, the secretary at the club and then it all got agreed and I was happy to go down. And in that first year, we missed out on winning the league to New Mills, just about, but I'd I, I missed the last few games because FC pulled me back um, because Sam was banned for the last league game and the first uh, playoff semi or the playoff semi uh, against 
BPA, so that they were banned for that game. He was banned, so I needed to come in and play. Um, I had a good game against Kendall last game, which meant because we did get beat, but it meant we had an away leg in the semi. So it was Bradford Park, I have away in the midweek. I kept a clean sheet. Like I say, a young kid, kick off with the lead. There was that many fans trying to get into the ground. And after that, I went back to Ramy because I wasn't going to get a sniff uh, with Sam playing because he, he was too good. He's he still, for me, one of the best keepers yeah. around in non-league. He's unreal, always has been, always will be. Um, and John O'Bernard put so much faith in me. They offered me a two-year contract. The, the pay rise for a kid of my age at the time was like the first person at Roundsbottom to have offered a contract. The, the, the chairman didn't even know what one was. That's how crazy it was. They had to bring yeah. in um, old Atkinson Stanley chairman, uh, Eric Waller, to help out with putting it all together because obviously the legal side of it, Roundsbottom had never done anything like that. It was still an office counties club. So, yeah, they put me on a two-year contract and obviously the rest of the history, we won the league that year and then just missed out on playoffs the following year in our first year in the MPL, which was crazy to think. Just a small little rammy, pulling it with the big boys at the time. So, you mentioned, you're a young keeper. Um, it must man you up even more going to play for two managers like Bern and John O. <laughs> what yeah, was yeah. it like to play under them? Yeah. Well, it had to. It had to, like you say, if you... Anyone who's played for or anyone who knows him, um, it's to play for John on Bernard mentally, you have to be resilient because they have high demands. It's why they're so successful. And that that does not waver at any point. You don't get any leeway. If you're winning 4-0, you need to be winning 5-0. If you're 3-0 down, you need to score four goals. There's never a consolidation. There's never an acceptance that 100% isn't what you can do. You need to be above and beyond everything you can do and that's especially as a keeper like I, I learned very early on I mean I'll give you a quick one we played uh, a game at home this was in the North of Counties before we got promoted the year we got promoted and had it been uh, 20 I think something like that maybe even 19, 20 and it was getting towards the end of the game and it was two, we're winning 2-1 and this striker who was playing against this showing how naive and wet behind the ears I was I came out for a one-on-one he'd been winding me up all game and I've been biting back a little bit I came out collected the ball and he, he stamped on me while I was on the floor and I just volleyed him while I was down and then I got a straight red uh, give a penalty away and then they scored it and that was last kick of the game and then it cost us two points and I was in the changing room and my seat in the changing room I <laughs> forget this was the first one on the door when you come in and that one's an old port academy and converted into a changing room so I'm sat in my seat I'm just head down obviously absolutely gutted that what I've just done not realising and as, a, <laughs> as the lads are coming in Mickey Morrison who was renowned for being a hard nut at the time just gripped me by the throat and slapped me against the wall I was like oh, this against the wall oh god I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> apologising and then when the manager's coming I'm expecting them to help me out a bit they, they made it worse <laughs> just hammering me and I'm like, Jesus, boys, I'm a kid, like, leave me alone. But like I say, I think they put so much trust in you and belief in you. I think age was just, they didn't even see me as a young keeper. They saw me as the best keeper that they wanted and they needed at the time. So I got the same treatment that every player got. And I think that's something that you'll learn from them. It doesn't matter your age. If they think you're good enough, you'll be playing. I mean, Proving with the lads they use at Chester, with like I said, the lads they push through at Chester from the youth academy, if they're good enough, they're going to be playing. And 
to have that type of trust at a young age, <laughs> I had to learn quick that I was I was there to to stay and I needed to book up my ideas and not so much worry about it. But yeah, they, they were absolutely insane sometimes. Like some of the team talks, you couldn't even imagine. Um, you'd think they would be all fire and fire and fire, but a lot of it was made up of banter. I mean, the first two years... <laughs> I couldn't tell you one team talk that was tactical. Everything was just laughing and joking with the lads and just building a rapport with the players. Countless times, Robbo at the time, who was a striker at Ramet, um, from Salford. <laughs> I don't think you'll mind me saying this. He's got the worst dress sense known to mankind. And we used to just hammer him for his clobber. So the gaffers would just spend 10, 15 minutes before a game, put the team up on the board so we all knew who was playing and we'd, we'd just spend 10 minutes hammering Robbo for his trainers or his, his shocking haircut or whatever it might have been. Um, so they've they got a lighter side as well, but then when it comes to the game, obviously the whistle goes and then you needed to understand that games aren't... I mean, you'll know, Bats, you've seen me on a coach before a game and in a changing before a game, all laugh and jokes. Yeah. And when, the whistle, when they go out for the game, it changes and my personality changes. That's always been a case. I can switch on and off. And I think that's something that Jono's teams and Bernard's teams have always been very good at. That's why I think we always tend to be successful because it's the mentality side of the game, which they're very, very good at helping lads hone in on. And you can enjoy being, enjoy your game of football in and around the changing room, everything else. But on the pitch, that's when you need to learn how to switch it on. And I think they were very good at that. Do you, do you think that the, 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 one of the main catalysts is sort of why Shenzhen has such a career in on leave. Say that again, mate. Sorry, got out. Do you, think, do you think they're one of the main catalysts as to why you've had such a good career in on leave? Yeah. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Um, like I said, for a kid of my age at the time, for them to put me in for a team that they wanted to win a league with, like even now, we're part of the, uh, like I see some of the keepers on the GKN network that Ali Martin and is running and so on. He speaks and you put some comments in there about young keepers, like what should they do? Um, should they train like what I was doing with FC, like on the bench, um, get the experience of being around the big clubs, training with the, with the keepers and stuff? Or should they drop down a couple of leagues? And I think it's a quite, to, I don't know, it's it's hard for them to accept that they need to take that drop down to progress. But like you say, if you, if you look after yourself as a keeper, you've got 20 years, 25 years of a career if, you, if you're really good and you look after yourself. Yeah, yeah. So there's no rush to try and get the games. But if the games are there, take that opportunity. That's what I'd say. And obviously it's easy for me to say because I did it. But I think some of these keepers who are coming out of academies and probably not getting a sniff or not getting a chance, they need to look at stories like mine, I suppose, and get the game time, get the experience because a manager who's looking to put teams together it's good that you've got Halifax on your CV and Barnet on your CV or whoever you might play for, Files, but you've not played many games. And it says you've only played three senior games and then you come up against Steve over here who's played 35 games in the Evo Stick North for Trafford. Um, yeah. What's more appealing? I mean, if I was a manager, I know I'd be looking at a lot of these players' games because game time for a keeper is far more important than the clubs he's been at and trained with. That's why if you look in the Premier League, for instance, you see all the number two, number three keepers, they move on to other clubs and become number two and number three keepers. None of them tend to progress on and become number one, do they? Like number ones and number ones and number two and number two. So you need to establish yourself a way what would be in your career. I think them two were vital in that for me, giving me that game time and realising, yeah, do you know what? I can do it. Like I said, it made me captain at Ramy as well. So at a young age, again, 
And I think what they instilled, instilled on me was that capability to take a team and hopefully you can back this up and make them believe in themselves. That's something that I've always honed in on, no matter yeah. the ability of the team that you play with. A good changing room and a good team where they work together can get you 15 points a season on morale alone. Don't matter on the ability, just sheer desire can get you those points. And I think that's something that I've got ingrained in my character when I'm going to a changing room and I try to pass that off to anyone I can. Um, whether that means helping the young lads put an arm around them or put some fire in the belly, then that's what I'll try and do. And I, I can say I can only, I think a lot of lads who play for John O'Byrne, especially at the age I did, can back that up and say that, that that's where it started, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you, you touched on uh, you won, won the league with Rami. Uh, yeah. To have a league title on your CV is always going to be a good thing. What was it like that season? Um, what was the team like as well? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I think, like you say, I was speaking to my wife, Rachel, about this the week, and she was saying about, because obviously I was talking about what I want to do going forward, like what, what my next step is. Um, we're trying to find a club or whether I stay at Buxton or what, what obviously goes ahead. And I'm like, there's nothing that beats winning the league. It doesn't matter the level. To the extent it does. But winning the league is just the best feeling. And even in promotion, so winning the league or promotion, either one of those two, because like I said, I've done both of them. That feeling with your mates that you've worked all season for to get to it, that sense of achievement is just like the year we won the league, we went on a run um, to the end of the season, about 17 games, I think, winning on the bounce, just knocking win after win after win after win, midweek, Saturday, midweek, Saturday, just win, win, win. And we didn't even train. Thursdays consisted of going to the village pub in Berry, watching darts and having a beer. And that's what we did. So there's no training. And it, like, like I said, it was just the lads. And at the time, we, we got to a period in Christmas, uh, just over the Christmas period, we got obviously Northwest County pitches became obsolete. There was no grass on them. And it became just a slog. So the, the managers at the time invested in two new players, two dogs, footballers who were a bit more experienced than the lads we had at the time. And that was the catalyst then. And boom, we just kicked on. And like I said, the team moved 22nd, Runcorn. I think they won something like 15 games on the bounce. And the last game they lost was against us. So that just shows how close it was. And it even came down to the last game of the season. where We had to be um, uh, Winsford at home. I think we won 4-1 or 4-2, something like that, um, to win the league. And yeah, it was unbelievable that year. Like that, that, that's not been matched since for me. That and the play up the uh, not the following year because we just missed out in our first season in the MPL, but the the second year in there where we got uh, up through the playoffs. That them two seasons, you'll never come across a team like it for punching above the weight for having the same players throughout the whole. Like I say four years from me joining to the second promotion, it was a four year period. It was the same team from when I joined, like the odd addition, but the nucleus of the team stayed the same. Thirteen lads are making plus 150 appearances, something like that, including the managers as well. We used to play as well at that time. What, what sort of players were in the team that have gone on to have like a good, good non-league career now? It's, it's crazy to think, you know, because not that many. This is what I'm saying about how we we were probably punching above our weight at the time, I think. I mean, Stephen Housen joined us a bit later on. Um, I'm trying to think of players who have gone on above that. Billy Priestley joined us for the year we got promoted and yeah. he, left, he left the following year. I think it was a Bradford Park at the time. Um, and then obviously Jordan Hume. But Jordan Hume didn't even play in the year we won the league. He was right back from Paddyham who 
was a squad player at the time. He he had a pre-season in uh, America before the NPL started. He came back a different player. He, he was unbelievable. Obviously, he's gone on to heights now. Where I wish he'd be knocking on football league doors. He's probably caught, caught him a bit too late in his career as a striker. But Jordan had all the ability to go above and beyond because the kid's unbelievable. So, yeah, and then I'm trying to think of other people. Probably going on from Ramit, like the level that Ramit, probably only me, Jordan, Steve House and Billy. Gaz Stockford for suppose as well, actually. Yeah, Gaz Stockford for that. I forgot about Gaz and Scott. But again, they, they followed uh, John and Bernard. So that was more a case of moving around with John and Bernard. Same with Alster and uh, Andy Dawson to an extent as well. He went to Salford, but then Andy, Andy hung his boots up after the Salford thing. Um, he was just, he was made of bleeding cold iron and Dawson and then he just got too old and couldn't carry on playing. His body was falling apart, unfortunately. But yeah, there's some players. I mean, even in that team, we had Danny Warrender. And I remember Danny Warrender because uh, my brother's a City fan. So I used to watch all the youth team football. And I remember Danny Warrender being the captain of City's uh, FA Youth Cup winning team, like Stephen Island and all those types of players. And he was our captain at right back. So the players, some of the players were fantastic. And some of them were dogs, like I said to you before. They were, they were just there because they had the right mindset to help us win the league. And they were general and Bernard very good at doing that, putting a team together. Some very talented young footballers or up-and-coming footballers or what have you. And then some very hard-working keepers, uh, players, sorry. So, yeah, that, that tends to be how it works with them and that's how it goes, mate. So um, it comes to the end of Ramsbottom, and I think you mentioned yeah. there where where Bernard and John moved on to Salford. Yeah, um, you didn't, and you went to Ashton. Um, yeah. was there a reason that Bernard and John didn't take you, or, or well, or, or what appealed to you about signing at Ashton? Well, it was funny because obviously the year they left was I just signed a two year deal at Ram. I'll give you some background on it. So after that season, we got promoted out of that league where Salford were in at the time um, pre-season that year was when or towards the end of the season that year was when the Class of 92 put the money into the club um, Phil Powell was in charge at the time Dave Chadwick who I'd played with at FC United was the assistant um, along with a couple other people I knew Danny Warren who had gone there uh, Phil Edgell was there who was part of the Ramy team as well so there was a few people who had gone to Salford um, towards the end of the season we got promoted um, and then pre-season I got in team of the year for the league that year, got Ramy's player of the year, cleaned up in that sense. And I just individually had a real good season, as well as the promotion. And then I got contacted while I was on holiday. Um, Karen Baird contacted me direct, um, obviously was the chairwoman at Salford, and said to me that they want me to come down. So Danny Warren rang me saying, listen, Shanks, Phil Power wants you down. Are you going to come to Salford? And I thought to myself, I'll just get out of that league. And like I said to you, I've never played pro. And for me, it was always just about getting as high as I could and making that step up and just keep on progressing. I didn't want it felt, even though I know the projects, what they were doing, but it, obviously what it at that stage, a lot of people in the league were talking about it, it's just a vanity project for them. And they were obviously not, they were going to get bored and everything else. Obviously that's not come to fruition, but it was just, it was a bit of a tricky one because I'd heard of teams having injections of money before in non-league and then nothing ever coming of it. So I was a bit sceptical, I suppose. Um, and they made me a very good offer. Um, and 
John Owen Bernard, when I got back off holiday, I said to Karen, I said, listen, I'll, I'll chat to you when I get back, but I'm going to speak to John Owen Bernard and see what, what's going on at Ramek, because obviously I wanted to stay with him. Because like you say, they put the trust in me. I wanted to repay that favour, I suppose. So came back from the holiday. John Owen said to me, listen, we know that you spoke to Karen. Karen spoke to us a lot of you. What, what, what are you thinking? So I was like, listen, obviously this in terms of... Uh, going forward, Salford are going to, if they do carry on investing the way they are going to, they're going to kick on and it is a good project to be part of, but I want to get out of this league at Ramy again, I think we can do it with the team we've got and we firmly believe that we were going to get out of the NPL as well and go straight to the Conference North, that's that's what we thought, we are just going to keep that momentum going. Um, so they put a deal on the table again, another year, or a contract for a year with an option, the club's option for a two-year deal type thing. Happy with everything that they put on the table for me, so I signed it and turned the Salford thing down. And then obviously we started like a house on fire that year. Uh, we were third in the league, and then a few games got cancelled because obviously I think Ramy flooded at that point, so the ground was under like six foot of water, like it does its annual little puddle. Um, and we didn't have a few games, and then we got a phone call on the Friday night saying we're all going to the ground on a Saturday. And then we got there on a Saturday, John and Bernard were leaving, and we sat down as a as a team. Uh, like a squad, um, the, the, the manager sat down with the fans as well and just told us what, what was going on and they were leaving, they were going to Salford, um, caught me by surprise, Jordan Human spoke to me the night before saying that that's what he thinks happening, because Jordan had been put on contract as well that year because of the year he had prior, so there was just me and him on the contract at the time, um, so we was like, what are we going to do, because <laughs> obviously it's not me, we all know how it works, if the managers go, the players tend to follow, so I was like, Shit, <laughs> what's going to go on now? And then, obviously, they left and took most of the squad with them. They bought Jordan. Uh, the Rami reached an agreement with Jordan um, and the club. So he went with And then it was just me and Alison at the time. But Alison had agreed this type of guy Alison is. I can't think of a better person in only football. The guy's an absolute gent. He promised Rami that he'd start, stay at Rami until he found a replacement for him. Um, for the new manager and then once they'd done that he, he then followed Salford with John and Bernard so he stayed for a few extra weeks to help us out and stuff which did help but like I say it was a full rebuild mate you got to think I was the only one from that promotion team who stayed by the end of the season was the only one everybody else had gone and the, the manager at the time Robbo who took the job on from he, was, he had a losing job there was his only job was to keep us up, like you said. Imagine trying to put a team together mid-season when we were third in the league and try and maintain that momentum. It was just, it was never going to happen. And we just about survived. I think we survived at Barwell away. Um, oh, Stafford away, I can't remember. Stafford away or uh, Barwell away, I can't actually remember now off the top of my head. And we just survived. And I thought that was going to be it for me. I thought I was going to move on. Obviously, I couldn't go to Salford because Salford at the time had Jay Lynch. He was phenomenal. Um, played unbelievably. He, he was on a big deal, so I was not going to go in there and replace somebody that people, he was unheard of to take a keeper out who was playing that well. So even if it was loyalty to John Oldberg, because like I said, they did speak to me. They were a bit apologetic that they put me on a, the deal that they put me on at Ramey, knowing that they were, they didn't know they were going to leave at the time, obviously, but that's, that's football. And I think that taught me a lot about the game at that point. So when, obviously, that happened, I thought I was going to be leaving. Uh, Ramy, but it never came to fruition. I'd spoke to Stockport as well. Neil Young was at Stockport at the time, so I was going to try and sign over at Stockport because, like I said, I'd had, I'd had a storm of a season that year. Kept us up because I don't think anyone would argue with this. I remember having a conversation with uh, Phil Edsel at the time because, obviously, I'd put me notice in saying, listen, I don't want the option to go in. I want, I want to go. 
And I remember sitting down with the chairman, the manager, and Edgy was number two at the time, a player assistant. And he said, listen, we need to let him go. He's just kept us in the league. Like, it's only fair. He's, he's upheld his part of the bag and he was on contract. And, but that never happened. They, they actually the option and ended up staying for an extra year. Um, and I, I think it was a year too long. It was my attitude. I've, I've not made, I've not, I never heard the fact that my attitude not the best that year. Um, but like I say, hindsight's a fine thing. And I was a young, young hothead. I still am now a hothead, to be fair. I, I, I mean, that's not really changed, but obviously a lot more wiser to the world now and a lot more respectful, I suppose, to the decisions I make because I was kind of holding it against Rami, but I'd signed a deal, so it's, it's up to me to uphold that, whether I like it or not. And I wish I'd have done a bit, behaved a bit better that year because my behaviour was probably a bit loose in on away trips and probably a bit too heavy drinking as well. Can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> so... You join Ashton and you go to another managerial pairing below on Akers. Um, yeah. What was it like to, to play under them and how did that come about? And I, I know because the, the joint managers, they probably do get compared with, let's say, Bernard and John. How, yeah. how would they compare to that? The polar opposites. It's not. I know it's a duo, so technically it could be the same or considered the same, but just total opposite type of characters. I mean, both have the same fire and desire to win games of football and win leagues. And that's what it was. Like I said, they spoke to me. I remember speaking to Akers after the game against Ashton for Rameth towards the end of the year. I think Baggers had scored the winner late on, but I had, had a great game again. Like I said, just kept us in it, trying to cling on for a point or something. Um, and he just said to me, he said, what are you doing? Why, why are you in this team type thing? I was like, listen, my contract's up at the end of the year. So they kind of had that chat with me, um, probably planting the seed early doors. And Phil was obviously looking to retire as well because he was playing at the time. Um, so it was just a great appeal to me. Ashton's a fantastic club. It goes back, I think, to the familiarity, like what I had at Rame, like the family type, close-knit club, which I'm very much used to and I enjoyed. And it was just a step up from that. So I think if there was ever going to be a club in Manchester area that was close match to Rame, Ashton was that. And obviously they were obviously always knocking on the door in the playoffs. They were that year. Like I said, I think they got beat of Salford in the semi that year. Um, so they were always knocking on the door at the playoffs and I think bringing me in was one thing they wanted to do it's what they said Phil and I think the, the keeper, keeper coach at the time was uh, that Neil Gillespie and he, he said the same point he, he tweeted me saying it when Phil retired how do you replace like the best keeper in uh, the Evo stick he signed the other best keeper in the Evo stick he said so it was a, it was a good little thing to go down there I was looking forward to it until obviously as you know broke my arm against the uh, Curzon pre-season before we even we hadn't even agreed a deal properly at that point. We, I was just there for pre-season, and we were we were still ironing out the details. I suppose um, whether it's going to be contract, non-contract, we, we hadn't decided. But then breaking my arm kind of made that decision easy for the club. <laughs> we're not paying him for after he broke his arm. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So it's just one of them things. Yeah. So then obviously joined yourselves. Not yeah. Long after. So Philo and Philo and Akers come to Staley Bridge, and was it just as simple as? Do you, do you want to come with us and, and, and play for Staley Bridge? 100%, yeah. I mean, even at that point, because you knew the situation in the club, uh, the amount of lads that were on contract from when Watson was there um, was huge. And Staley Bridge have always been a huge club in the area, especially for me. Like, we've always been conference prem from the time I was at Ramy and so on. It was just obviously a few years where they'd had a bit of a blip. And when, obviously, the, the, the gaffers moved over and they asked me would I come, it was a no-brainer and they, they even explained to me saying listen gents we can't match what you're on at Ashton um, but this is what it is 
And I was like, I don't care. I don't give a crap. Just get me there. Like I wanted to, I wanted to play in the conference. Um, just it was a bit of a bit selfish, but it was just to prove that I could do it. Because obviously I'd seen some other keepers in the leagues and stuff, and I thought I can do that. I'm 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 better than that. I, I'd I'd put myself on a pedestal, I suppose. And I wanted to try and answer my own critic in my own head saying, can you do it? And then obviously the step up, even at Staley Bridge at the time, he was struggling. I saw it straight away in my first training session. The difference in quality from the Evo stick prem at the time to the Conference North was huge. And a team that's struggling like Bridge were at the time, I was like, shit, they hit the ball out at this level and like everything's just quicker and faster in a team that was struggling. So thinking about the team, like you filed and you stopped, but you were at the top at the time. It's going to be a tough old rest of the season because I think it was October I made the first game something yeah. like that. Well, I, broke, I think he broke my arm in the July and October about the first game or something like that. Uh, BPA away was, wasn't it? And even at that point, like I say, it was that faith that the manager showing in me because Tony Mack was in there at the time. And Tony's a fucking brilliant keeper. Yeah. Has been for years. So I think, I know it rattled a few feathers at the club because that was one position that they kind of had nailed down. But obviously, it's football and it's quite cutthroat. And if the manager's won one of their players that they trust, that, that, that's what happened. So, again, the respect to the managers to do that because Tony Mack weren't doing anything wrong. We know that, you know that. Yeah. Um, it was nothing personal or on his ability. No one was questioning that. It was just one of them things where they wanted me to come in. Um, so, I, I did. And, yeah, I, did, I didn't regret it one bit. I, I learned a lot that year about football. when, like I say, Steve Burr came in. Um, learned a lot under him as well different type of manager to what I've been used to. Um, I was excited for it. So, yeah. like I said, it was a you, crazy old season. It weren't the, um, like the season we, we expected it to be. Um, and when Phil Owenakas did go, what did? I can't lie, it wasn't, no, because obviously, you know this, but I'm, I, I love being on the, I do a lot of research into people and stuff like that who are, who are working with and so on. So I'll always do a bit of background. And I knew Steve Burr from what he'd done at Kidderminster and where else he'd been prior and stuff like that. So I was expecting big things, I were. And when he came in, I even said to Bish, um, when I went around to his one night, like the training sessions are just a big change. It had gone from being very hard work to just technical sessions. And obviously you could see the difference where he was bringing a different angle of approach to the team. And he was kind of going down, trying to hone in on, because you'll agree with me, some of the players we had at that year, technically fantastic football, so good on the ball. And we probably weren't utilising that under Phil Owenakas. We were playing a different style of football. So Burr tried to implement that. And I think we had some success. But I just think, I don't know whether anyone would agree with me at the time, but I just thought it was the wrong project for him, for what we needed at that time. If being openly honest, the best two managers for the job did let go. If they needed any type of managers to keep up, I, gen- I firmly believe if Akers and Philo would have seen the season out, we'd have been in a better position. I'm not saying we would have stayed up, yeah. but I think we'd have been had a better chance than Burr coming in because he, he wasn't the type of manager the club needed at the time. Obviously, his pedigree spoke for itself. That's why he got the job. But I just thought it was a bad move on his part and probably on the club's part as well. But you live and learn, don't you? Yeah. Um, so it comes to the end of that spell. Um you, you you moved to Trafford uh, yeah. in the league below. Um, was was it ever a case of did you get offered to stay at Stalybridge or was it that you just t- chose to go to Trafford? See now this this it's always a tricky situation. Oh, 
it's hard to explain without sounding like a bit of a dick, to be honest. Um, because I have intention of staying at Stanley Bridge at that point, but it was something about the way Steve Burr was doing things at that time. Um, he told me to come down. Now, at the time, he'd not spoke to me. I'd not had a chat with him. Um, and we'd signed Kinga. So Kingy had signed on. Oh, yeah. um, I think Kingy had affiliations with, I can't remember his name, but what was the little chap called with the grey hair? It was with Burr. I used to get his name. Andy Fern. Yeah, Fern, that's it. Yeah, so obviously Kingy's got affiliation with Fern and plays for him before, I think, and yeah. uh, quite close or whatever. So I knew, obviously, coming on that on that basis. But then I, I did have a chat with Steve pre-season down at Stockport at Woodler. I just said to him, so listen, what, what, what's, what's the crack? You've not spoke to me all pre-season. I just got a text saying, come in. Do you want me to stay? Do you not want me to stay? Kind of thing. And I'd already spoke to uh, Tom Bates at Trafford at this point. Now Bates had rang me and he'd been openly honest that he wanted me to come in and he wanted me to be his keeper that year. So any player will tell you, if, if a manager wants you, that's the first step done there. Just that desire to show that they want you to come in, huge. And I weren't getting that from Bird. I'm not saying I need it. I need him to do that. I'd quite easily played if he never did, but it was just the honesty side of it. He, felt like he was giving me the runaround a little bit, like play, edging his bets to see if he could get somebody either a bit cheaper or whatever it might have been. It just felt like I weren't getting a straight answer from him whenever I spoke to him. So when I spoke to him at Woodley, I was like, what's the crack? He was like, well, I need to see what you can do. I thought, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's, just, that's all I thought. I thought, nah, that's absolute bullshit. And this is what I'm saying. If you would have been honest up front with me, just said, listen, Shant, I want to have a look at a couple of the keepers, what's the options are. I, I could have shook his hand and walked off and I'd have had a lot more respect for him. But he was trying to play me and I'm, I'm not a or I'm not, like I said, I don't suffer fools. And at that point, I kind of thought, Do you know what? No, that, that's me. That I'm done with that. And Chaffer was close to my home. It was on the corner. There was a lot of lads there that I knew. Um, Bakes was an unbelievable footballer. So I was expecting the same to come from his manager's side of it. I thought he's going to be chasing promotion and stuff. So I think after two relegations on the bounce, I needed something a bit different to where we were going to be at the other end of the table. I was getting two board of picking the ball out the back of my net if I'm being completely honest yeah. so I think going down to Trafford was the best move I made it kind of kick-started my attitude again thinking the right way because you do get used to losing sometimes and it's hard to get out of that habit um, you just I wouldn't say I accepted it but it definitely become more common to me and I, and I didn't like having that feeling so yeah going to Trafford was just an easy decision in the end and then I had a, had a great season I loved it Belting club one of my favourites better place for if I'm being honest with how I felt while I was there just felt like I was part of something really good. Uh, all the fans are amazing. Uh, the chairman runs the club brilliant. Uh, Bates is top manager. Uh, Groups are really, really, really like him, consider him a good friend now because of it. Um, and like I say, I was gutted that I had to leave, but when Chester come knocking, I, I couldn't say no to that. Like That was a big thing. Like I did have offers from other clubs um, in the NPL North, or the Prem, sorry, at that point, uh, Buxton being one, a couple of others. Uh, um, Bridge being another, like I spoke to Sai at the time. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing was I said to Bates, and I, and I, I, I was hundred percent going to stand stand to this uh, promise that I said to. Him. I said, listen, I don't want to sign for any NPL Prem clubs. That's not my ambition. If I was going to leave Trafford, it would have to be for a conference side or a conference north side because what they were doing at Trafford, I wanted to stay and be part of it. Like we just missed out on promotion. We got beat off Prescott away. I don't think I've ever won a bleeding game at Prescott, to be honest. So um, when we got them in the semi-final, I, like, I, can't, I can't believe it. Midweek, freezing cold, no grass on the pitch. But yeah, we just missed out on promotion. So I thought we, we'd, we'd have done it in the next year if I'd have stayed. 
Yeah. But obviously, um, John and Bernard, I went and met them at Village Hotel. They'd just got the Chester job and they wanted me to go down there. So, yeah, it was time to catch back up with the crazy duo. Yeah, I mean, you, re- you reunite with them and you and you go there and you, you're playing in the conference. Was it the conference north at the time? And you, yeah. You yeah, had 42 yeah. appearances and 16 clean sheets was the second highest in the league uh, that season. Yeah. How did you find it? stepping up to that level and playing consistently and doing well yeah like obviously I'd had a taste of the conference north and I was with Bridge so I knew, I knew what was needed of me and what was expected so it, it wasn't I suppose it wasn't a shock what I was going to have to do I knew I was going to have to be on the game every game and I wasn't there were games where I'd had a couple of I wouldn't say bad games I'd like it's hard for me to look back at, there's not many games in my career where I can say I had bad games when I bad little episodes and so on. But there's only a handful where I'd say I had bad, bad games. Um, I definitely had a couple of moments where I should have done better. But as a, as a season in all, especially the young team, we had at the time, I had Cy Grand at centre-half, uh, Danny Livesey for part of the season, uh, Steve Housen rotating at our centre-half. So we were all quite, what am I saying, more experienced, older centre-halves. And then we had kids as full-backs. So as a, as a back five dynamic, we were all learning each other's type of game. So Danny, Danny and uh, Grandy had played together for years and they were best mates. So they knew each other perfectly. And the same with Alson when he came into the into the centre-half position. But the two young full-backs, it, it was hard for us because they were trying to learn how to play for John O'Bernard. John O'Bernard's, like I say, defensive mentality. His crosses do not come in the box, that type of thing. And... The young kids were still learning it, and to keep sixteen clean sheets that year was fantastic for us as 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 a defensive unit. Anyway, I think Grande, phenomenal, unbelievable football. He's still doing it now. At, I think he's about 36, 37. I might be doing him the leading justice day. He might be older than that, um, but unbelievable. And then the rest of the season was just we went on a great little run over Christmas. Started a bit stuttered, but. The Chester fans, um, they have high demands and they expected a lot from us even early, early on when we'd only played a couple of handful of games together as a full team. Like I said, it was a, a team from scratch, complete re- uh, rebuild. So it was crazy whole, like, whole situation and season. Um, it was a lottery, I suppose, because no one knew where we were going to finish, whether we were going to get in the playoffs, whether we were going to be near the bottom, because they'd just come down from the conference. Um I think only won one game all year or two games or something, Chester that year. And it, it, it was, it was a strange year, but I absolutely loved it. The club's fantastic. Like, yeah. the big, hands down, in terms of fan base and everything else, it, it's the biggest club I've played for. Like I say, when I started playing football, they were in the Football League. I played with Linna, who was at Trafford um, with me the year before. And I asked him when John, Sir John O'Burn, because I know he spent a lot of time at Chester. I had a chat with him saying, like, what, what was it like down at Chester like and he said you'll love it he said it'd be perfect for your shins like the, the fans are absolutely mental um, pretty much like you so you'll enjoy yourself like down there and I did like it, it was it was brilliant um, and we just missed out on the playoffs in our first year so I was pretty gutted um, that I had to leave but work commitments and the, the model they were going with with the hybrid and stuff training during the day I just unfortunately couldn't commit to it I tried my hardest to find a resolution through work but I just, I just couldn't do it. Um, yeah. I mean, even offered me to stay part-time, but I'd have been the only player in the squad who was part-time and I just didn't feel like that was fair. Like I say, I couldn't give it my, my all the way everybody else would have been. 
So I didn't feel comfortable um, accepting the offer that they made me that year. So I think it, to do the club, I don't know, uh, probably dissatisfaction, I suppose, on my part, because I weren't as committed as everybody else. So mentally, yeah, but if I've got guys turning up on Friday and they're going through tactics and stuff and I'm leading in the office, having meetings yeah. and stuff, it's, I don't think it would have been fair on the rest of the team and the, the managers. So, yeah, it yeah. came to an end, unfortunately. I mean, I did a bit of research about when you was at Chester and I think when you mentioned them about um, when you had a few, let's say, bad games yeah, and you come in for criticism, what's it like for a goalkeeper? Because it, there's only one one position for a goalkeeper. What's yeah. it like when the criticism and you, you, you're quite a character so did you let it affect you or did you just shrug it off and get on with it get on with things I've never let it affect me ever um, I never would I it's not in my character you, you'll know that but it's like I, I'd probably say there's an, an element of narcissism in it um, where it's always going to be somebody else's fault and I've always had that mentality um, I read something that Peter Schmeichel said about a goalkeeper if I've made a mistake it's because somebody else has so yeah. I kind of I've always tried to reign through with that. Like I'm not I'm not perfect. If if I didn't make mistakes, I'd be playing in the championship. You know what I mean? Like that's Chester because they're such a division football league and they're such an established club. Um, maybe a small minority of the fans probably still live in that era and not so much respective of where they're at. Because like I say, look at. Football's a numbers game, isn't it? Managers get sacked because they don't make points. And goalkeepers are the same. If anyone looks from the outside and sees a goalkeeper sits in clean sheets in a season, second in the league, to say that we didn't even finish in the playoff spots, you can't fault that. How can you yeah. have, do you know what I mean, negative thought about that process? I've done all in my power to do that. We just didn't score goals. We drew a lot of games, nil-nil, because we weren't scoring goals. But the strikers didn't come under you know, scrutiny. Um, yeah. it, it's always going to be the case as a goalkeeper I think the, the earlier you learn that and you accept it's a selfless position I suppose is the best way to describe it because you can have five stormers on the trot if you drop two goal, two mistakes in one game no one remembers the five games before and it is a cliche but that that is fundamentally what it's like being a keeper and a prime example of that when we got Chester like I, I let one in against Leamington at home at last minute it was dodgy goal it was I should have done better I like half anticipated where he was going to go so I made a movement and he shanked it but because he shanked it I'd already moved, made the movement to one side and it was hard just to correct it and it went in it was a soft goal but like I said these are the small margins of being a keeper where it's easy to get over critical saying I should have saved it I should have saved it but the way I always used to justify it it was like well it was only a small little thing that's cost me the goal i.e. Yeah. one step too soon but if he does hit that right and I don't take that step it goes in and no one really backs an island and says, oh, well, he did a good strike there. But personally, I'm thinking, what could I have done better? Because they always analyse what I've done. So that's just the way I did it. And then the following game, like I said, I came under a lot of lot of zip after that game. Um, the managers, again, spoke to me saying, listen, you need to be better. Your standards need to be higher. They didn't pull any punches and I wasn't expecting to because I pulled myself to that exact same standard. But then we played Darlington away and put in a storm of performance, kept my own match. Um, we, we, we won away and in, that, in a difficult game. And then just flipped it again, and then people aren't talking about that. So it's a keep yeah. keeping, like I said, it's one of them things, mate. You either you made to be a keeper, so I think the position finds you if you've got the right mentality and you can understand that it's not always going to go your way. Then you, you won't be too far away from doing a doing a good job as a keeper. So yeah, it, it, it was hard sometimes. 
but I've never, I'll never. But I mean, you've you've been you've been critical of me. I remember having that chat at Bish's wedding when <laughs> you said to me about dropping the ball at um, what was it called? Gloucester away. Um, when that, yeah. yeah, yeah, you you pulled me up on it at the wedding. And he's lucky I was drunk because if I weren't, you'd have got yeah. stern word. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the same as that, mate. Like I say, it, it, it comes with a territory. So once once you understand it, the keeper, like I say, you get this with experience. Once once you've been around the block a bit. It becomes second nature to you. Once a ball goes in, it goes in. There's nothing you can do about that. Then just draw a line in it, and then you go again. So yeah, definitely. So you mentioned earlier in the podcast that Buxton had been in for you before, and you yeah. you eventually signed for him. Um, who was it that signed you at Buxton uh, originally? And and yeah. you, did, you did quite well in your first season there. Yeah, so it was Phil. Like I said before, I went to Chester. Uh, when I was at Chaffer, I spoke to Philo and Akers both respectively could do it together at that point. Um, and I'd had the chat about going over, but I, I said to him then, like I said to Bates, I said, listen, boys, while you're in that league, I don't really want to leave um, to join a club where it was going to put me out a bit because Chaffer, like I said, it was very comfortable for me at that point. So if I was going to go out of my comfort zone where I'm travelling a lot for training and stuff like that and I weren't going to be seeing family as much, it had to be worth it. And for me at that time, conference was the only place for that. Um, so that's why I made that move. But then when obviously I couldn't stay at Chester for the work commitments, um, Phil rang me straight away. Um, but at the time, um, they had uh, Theo Roberts in that on loan from Chester, who'd had a storm yeah. of the year at Buxton, played really well, the young kid. Um, and I think we're trying to sign him permanently. They, were, they made, I think, made a couple of bids to buy him because uh, obviously he was on Chester's books for two years or something. But it weren't looking like it was going to come to fruition. So Phil rang me. Asked me to come down, so I went and had a chat with him. Um, he told me what, what they were doing, and he was going to reunite me with uh, Mark Cannon, who I'd worked with when I when I was at Bridge, who I had, like I say, so much respect for and learned so much from that. It, it was an easy decision when he came in at that point. I spoke to the chairman and the project they had at Buxton. Like I said, they put the 4G in because they, they, they were taking it seriously. They wanted to win the league, and they wanted to win the leagues quickly and shoot through them. So what they were building... Um, I was happy to go with, so I spoke to Philo, uh, sorted everything out, happy with what, what we was going on. Like I said, there was a couple of players down there we already knew. Um, Chippy was down there, obviously I played with his brother when I was at Bridge, so I knew Chippy, a couple of the other lads who were there, so Pilkey was signing, um, there was a few other changing lads that I knew. And yeah, fantastic club, absolutely love it up at Buxton, I do, I must admit, if, if it weren't on the edge of the earth, I think they'd get more fans there. It's just, windy and cold yeah. every other day but in terms of a club with its foundations and everything everything's there in stone for him to make the progression but yeah uh, of COVID COVID's ruined yeah. any plans for anybody at the moment so yeah um, you came you come back on loan to us um, yeah. I mean you only played one game when you come back on loan before COVID um, but it was a bit of a strange one in the fact that um at the start of that season, Buxton signed Tommy Taylor as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's argue, it's fair to say that you and you and Tommy are probably two of the best goalkeepers in the league. Yeah. Um, and I think you got injured and uh, something like that and you fell out of favour onto the bench. Um, it was, it's a funny one, but it's like I say, I, I've been around the block now, especially when this came in. Um, obviously, Phil left before Christmas. Um, the following the previous season and the new manager came in um, I, I, I'm not going to lie at that point I'd not heard of Gary Hayward not knowing what he's done I had to do 
bit of digging, you know, speaking to a couple of friends who have dealt with him and stuff. And then I knew a few lads who had been around him when he was at um, Nuneaton. So spoke to a couple of them, like, what was it like? And so on, just to gauge it, like all lads do. Like, we all gauge it. Don't know a manager. We'll ask people who know him just to see what, what, what he's like, how he works. And didn't have any issues with him at all. When we started, there was, there was no animosity between us. We had a bit of a fallout pre-season this year. Um, but it was all put to one side. There was, there was nothing that I was worried about. Um, they reassured me. They signed Tommy solely to have two number ones who could fight out for a shirt. Um, and that's how it came about. And we, at that point, I was, I was more than happy with that, if that would have been the case. And I spoke to him at the time and I said, listen, chaps, if, if, if that's the case, then no problem. Let, let's play football. Let, let, let's go at it. I, I back myself 100%. Tommy does the same. Like Me and Tommy have got a good little working relationship. Um, look out for each other in that sense. Because like you say, it's, it's a lonely place being a keeper. So as much backup as you can get, it's only going to help you. Um, so me and Tommy had no animosity. We both worked hard in training. They pushed each other as much as we could. And then when it came to the start of the season, um, Tommy got the shirt. So I weren't injured at that point. So I can't say that I was. Um, Tommy just got the nod ahead of me. Um, so I remember speaking to the gaffer pre-season and they were a bit worried like how we would react, how Tommy would react if he started or if I started. Now, like I know he's telling Tommy that he's going to be starting um, when he signs. And I know he, I can comfortably say that he said the same to me. Tommy's coming in to work for your shirt. And then obviously Tommy Taylor's coming from Scarborough where he's starting. He's not coming all the way to Buxton for a manager saying, listen, you're going to be number two behind Shent, you've got to get his shirt. I know yeah. the manager told him he's going to be number one. I'm not stupid. Um, so it's just one of the things. And a lot of the lads in the change room are the same thing. Like, oh, what's going on here? Because it's unheard of in non-league and to have, like say, two keepers who are renowned for being the best in the league to be in the same team. So even in the, like I said, the group chat, the GKN group chat that we're both in, the keepers are all saying the same thing. Oh, what's going on down at Buxton and all that? What are you two like? And all the lads like try to fish for bikes and stuff. Yeah. We're both very professional in the way we do our job. I mean, I know I am. I know Tommy is and I can't speak highly enough of him for training. He's actually bang on. As is mine, like I say, um, I can't take it personally because even if it was, I'm not saying it is, even if it was, like I said, when I was back at Rama, I can only respect the decision I've made. I've signed a contract. I'm going to, stick to it. I turned up to train, I was on time, I was punctual, I trained hard, my attitude's not changed one bit, support all, all the team as best I can. Um, but I can't lie, I miss not playing, it's killing me, just sitting yeah. in the stands, watching the game, um, because football's a short career, if, if I'm not playing, it, it was it was killing me, and I thought, like I say, it was, it was a learning curve, I spoke to the chairman and the gaffer, um, after the first couple of games, and I said, listen, I'm struggling, I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm not enjoying this. And they, were, and they basically said to me, listen, Shen, give it a couple of weeks. If you're in the same mentality, we'll look, we'll look for, we'll meet in the middle and we'll see what we can do. Um, and in that time, Tommy was pulled out of the squad and I was put back in. Um, for whatever reason, it, it, just how it went. And again, like I said, I just had to do a professional job. I, I weren't expecting it. Tommy weren't expecting it either. Um, we were pulled out. I, I go in. I play, I do a good job. Um, we drew, I think we drew with uh, Micklover at home and we beat Bamber Bridge away. Um, or we drew with Bamber Bridge. No, we beat Bamber Bridge. Beat Bamber Bridge away, drew with uh, Micklover at home. And then I got injured in the Bamber Bridge game. I went to kick a ball late on and something happened in my foot. And it, I could, we had Warrington, and my, I say, on the Tuesday. And I wanted to do everything in my power to be fit for the game. Um, and like on a personal note, there'll be a lot of lads who, who are injured and play through injuries. I've done it myself. 
in the past. Like I say, I came to Staley Bridge with my arm waving proper set from being broke. I've still got the bump in my arm now to prove that I came back far too soon. Um, so I've done that before and I, I, I couldn't do it again. We're, we're warranted away. We're going to win a league. It would have been right for me to play in that game where I couldn't kick a ball properly. Yeah. And kicking's a big part of my game. If I can't do that side of my game, it's going to have complications for me. It's going to impact the team. And personally, I couldn't do it. So I had to tell the gaffer, I can't play a gaffer. My, my, my foot's like hurty really bad. And I've, like I say, I, many times I've took sheer amount of painkillers and just dealt with it, strapped it up and just played the night. But I couldn't do it, not with what was on the line. Warrington was second, I think, at the time, or third, or obviously going for promotion as well. So yeah. we wanted we want to win the league. So I had to take that time out, and I did. And at that point, I spoke to the gaffer and I said, listen, I've come out through injury now. I know I'm not going to get back into the team unless Tommy has a smelly one or he gets injured himself. Like, it was going to be hard to get back in again. So I said to him, can you find me something else? Can you get me some games? I want to keep on playing. Because like I said, I'd got in and played the two games and I felt like I was bang on it. Like I trained hard, so I was fit and ready to go. And I felt like I was taking a step back, going back onto the bench again and just sitting in the stand. So then, yeah, um, Staley Bridge came about, had a chat with yourself and then got the loan sorted out. Yeah. I mean, I know it's been a short time, but what 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 do you think of Simon so far yeah. and working with the, with the guys? Oh, I said to you, when I came and spoke to you that day, I spoke to Simon a couple of times prior to coming down. So I remember when he was at Cliverow, um, I was at Trafford, um, I'd had a couple of storms against him, to be fair. I think I saved two penalties in two different games against him to when we beat him with, with Trafford. I think Kurt Willoughby was with him at the time. Um, so I, I had a lot of respect for Simon. I, I know what he'd done in the game personally as a player. Um, like I say, I always do a bit of research and so on. So I, I know the pedigree he's got. And every time I'd spoke to him prior to that, I know he has good conversations with him, spoke really well, uh, very articulate, knows his game, you can see that a mile away. So it, I, 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 it weren't an issue about me signing for him. Um, I had the reservations about the team and stuff, I can't lie, I said this to you, because the results speak for themselves and I, I didn't want to come and be part of a team that was going to be struggling, but I knew what Sai was trying to do and what he needed, and technically what he needed was probably me. Um, somebody who's a bit vocal a bit more experienced just to kind of steady the ship a little bit um, and I think obviously in the short time I've been there training and the game against Grantham I think I did that straight away um, yeah. so yeah that's where the club's at isn't it? at this stage like I say I think it's probably just myself and maybe one other experienced head just to steady the young talented lads because there's some talent in the changing group in seeing that in that friendly against Trafford that we had behind closed doors and stuff some of the lads have Friday on the ball yeah. just maybe a bit, bit wet behind the ears um, so that's where yours truly comes into his own so um, going on to the future of Grant Shenton um, yeah. obviously Covid's affected like the last two seasons and stuff um, yeah. what are your aims for the for the, um, for the for the for the rest of your career and what would you say to yeah. other people that have been say affected by Covid with their football career because it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to get straight to get back into it. Of course it is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a killer for me because I make no bones about it. I put on weight when I'm not playing football. <laughs> so trying to maintain that when the season could start next week, it's, it's been difficult for me. Um, mentally as well, like I say, especially non-league lads, you're out of the house a lot. So if you're cooped up inside all the time, it's not going to be easy on anybody. So, I mean, believe it or not, I've been running, which is hard to believe. But... <laughs> It's surprisingly has helped me as well. Um, I wouldn't say it's 
stops any of the frustrations. But it definitely, once I get back in from the actual run, I always feel 10 times better than I did before I went, uh, mentally anyway. But in terms of a career, that's, I don't even know. It's hard to even say what, what's going to go on. Um, are the league's going to get restructured? I mean, technically, we're still part of the season at the moment. Yeah. So we know what's said on Monday. Um, who knows? I can't see it going ahead with what's happened with, uh, obviously, the conference north and south. But who who knows? Um, yeah. Personally, I, I still want to play, mate. Like, I don't want to stop playing. I, I feel like I just turned 30 in January. And I've still got so much to give and learn. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, I'm not. I think the last couple of years have taught me about myself, about how I need to maintain. My, if I want to continue the career, because there were some games where I, I definitely felt the effects after, especially playing on plastic. Early doors, I realised I'm probably carrying a bit too much weight and stuff. I probably need to shed a little bit, which I did. Um, when I was at Bucks last year, I got myself down to a healthy weight and it's just about trying to keep it there. And now, and my, <laughs> my behaviours, so probably have to hone them in a bit if I want to prolong my career. But yeah, I'm looking at the coaching side of it now. Um, having a couple of conversations with a very close friend of mine, a little project that we're putting together. So next, obviously once lockdown's up and we know what we can do, we can start making a bit of headway with that. Um so there's a few other little bits, but coaching's keepers, I suppose, not not coaching as an outfield thing, just yeah. solely on the keeping. That's definitely what I want to do for a bit before. Obviously, the retirement comes in. Once retirement comes in, then that's a different kettle because that's when I'll be starting to look at trying to find a club for me to hopefully take me on to let me run their ship. So we'll, yeah. we'll see where that goes, yeah. But playing, I don't, I don't know, mate. I haven't got a clue. I couldn't even tell you what, what, what was going Is it just about work. enjoying it now? Would you say that to everybody else? Would you need to oh, you've got to, yeah, you've got to especially after what's happened, like you say, you've got to save every moment you get now, aren't you? Wins and lose. I'll take getting a 9-0 drumming away at Blythe on a windy, snowy night tomorrow if it meant going out and playing football. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, we probably do take it for granted. I think that's the same with most people at the moment, isn't it? Um, little things in their life that probably don't mean that much now seem like a huge, a huge deal to people who are struggling because of everything going on. So, yeah, any, anyone who's football-wise, just like anyone to have a chat. And it sounds cliche, don't it, mate? Everyone says it. Um, yeah. If you are struggling, a lot of footballers will be, a lot of non-league lads will be. Uh, Nathan Cartman, that goes off to him. Um, I dropped him a message after it, what he put on Twitter, like how he's been struggling mentally and stuff. And yeah. it just shows what the community is. Like we all know that, you know it. Non-leagues it is a community, and a lot of people look after each other, even if you're not from the same club and stuff. We all have that same togetherness. So it's always good to see that. Yeah. So would you go on to uh, some? more uh, like, like I questions stuff like that before yeah. we end um, yeah. do you have a game that that stands out uh, in your career that you it was your favourite game that you've ever played in I've had a few favourite ones do you mean like um, as a team or on a personal note both like, like both um, well on a personal note or like for my I'd say no joke I'll go on a team one so in a team one I can't hide away from it there's two that stand out and I didn't play in either of them unfortunately because my leg was in plaster but it was Darlington away um, in the playoffs uh, the year we went up at Ramey and then the Bama Bridge game again away when I didn't I didn't even play them but I'd played all that year and like I say um, that's the year we got into team of the year but I brought my leg for the, the most important game so on a personal note I didn't play but yeah. that, that elation that you have like you say throughout the whole season where you've, you've worked your tripe off and then 
you you get what you what you deserve at the end of the day. Like I say, you don't fluke promotion. It's not a thing that can happen. Like you deserve to go up if you, if you get that promotion. So yeah, it was good. And then on a personal note, it's a funny one because it's against the team I played for. But uh, when I was at Chester, we played against FC away, um, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a funny game because the night before I was in Birmingham uh, for a work thing. I had to go to like a conference, so I didn't get back from there until early hours in the morning. Um, back home so I didn't sleep much and all FC's only around the corner from my house I literally just got there in time for the game <laughs> for not being late and being fine I felt a bit roper in the warm-up I just felt I just didn't feel good but then when I played the game I had an absolute stormer I was getting some abuse <laughs> from the FC fans behind the net they were oh <laughs> obviously we went down to 10 men um, and we were only 1-0 up and FC were they were bopping us they were playing some very very good football um, and they were chance after chance and I was just keeping it out but I was trying my hardest just to kill the game at every opportunity that I got just take the sting out of their, their momentum and I remember one instance <laughs> a shot's come in it's just gone wide and I landed on my arm for perfect time so I pretended my arm was sore I, to be fair it was that wasn't a lie I did it on the post but I thought I need to milk a bit of time and one of the fans came down from behind the net and he, <laughs> he was fuming bright red beetroot red he, he weren't happy he's like Fucking hell, Shenton, just to play for us, have some respect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sorry, mate, you gotta do what you gotta do. And then we went up the other end a couple of minutes later and scored and we won 2 0. Um, but that that game, just I remember because, like you say, the goal that we scored was just against the run of play. They were chasing the game and they were close to scoring. And when we scored, I even ran the full length of the pitch to celebrate with the lads, with the fans and stuff. It was, it was unbelievable. But the abuse I got, like, it was just a bit of satisfaction on a personal because yeah. they just, they'd hammered me for 90 minutes I'd just been hammered by these fans and you're fat you're this you're that you're fucking uh, fat uh, Harry Maguire whatever else they said to yeah. me at the time like, I got some riot abuse but it just felt that that satisfaction was it was brilliant so yeah on the personal that was, that was my standout game definitely uh, touching on that that time wasting and stuff like that I remember yeah. you told a story about something to do with um Philo and Akers used to tell you when when <laughs> when they scored a goal, you have to go down yeah. injured. And I think one time Dave Pulver didn't realise that you was didn't, you didn't have a clue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's come over thinking the worst. Oh, that's happened a few times. Like we we came up with a signal um, under them. So like Akers usually did it. To be fair, He'd, like whistle twice or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. But yeah, I just go down and sit down and. Dave didn't have a clue. He's just like, what's going on? <laughs> didn't, didn't have a scheme. No one had told me. The physio didn't know what was going on. So yeah, it was funny. There's been a few like that. Like that, again, comes experience knowing when to do it. There, there are times when you need to kill stuff like that to stop teams getting momentum. It's all gamesmanship, like you say. Some yeah. people call it. But it, it's part and parcel of the game. Strikers do it. If you back into them and they go down, it's just another rung to the game to manage the game. And the older you get, the more, the more you learn how to do it without getting caught. Yeah. I mean, uh, next one, who's the best player you've played with and who's the best player you've played against? Uh, I was always going to try and slip this in, but I rem- I'm a Liverpool fan. I remember watching the game where you played Liverpool for Chester. So I, I, I reckon there's a couple in there. See, that's the thing, though. Obviously, it would be one of them players. I can't, I, I don't name them for that reason because yeah. they were just a diff- different level. But it's like, we play at a good level of football. Um, and we work on certain things in training like setting traps defensive live for the attacking players but they were doing it when they had the ball it was just bizarre like <laughs> they'd move the ball over here and six other things were going on it's like playing chess against Einstein or something it, it was mental <laughs> they were just so good and then obviously that was our first game believe it or not we'd only had one training session before that we'd had one training session and gone against that 
that year, Champions League finalist, and who would go on to win the Champions League that year. Um, and they had a full strong squad that was available. The only players who weren't there were at a World Cup. So it just shows the standard of play we played against. And they moved the ball. We just, it was effortless. Everything about it was just effortless. And obviously, we were blowing up. We win the game for 40 minutes. I think we scored the first goal on the 41st minute, something like that. So we were in the game and then that, um, what's he called? Wilson, uh, the other yeah. to Derby. He scored a little brace before half time. But even before that, like Fabinho, now one, renowned as one of the best defensive midfielders in the world and was at the point as well when he came in. It was his first game and he's just in diags with left and right foot. We're like, no back lift, no one coming near him. And they were just, you couldn't touch him. And then second half, a whole new 11. James Milner comes on and Kieta comes on and it was mad. Storage. He scored two goals without even looking at the net. I don't know how he did it. I couldn't <laughs> tell you now how he did it. Not a clue. His back was to goal. He'd not once looked. Ball comes into him. He shot before I'd even realised. He's already in the net. And they were just so good. Origi. I think I, I think I brought Origi down for a pen. He was just... I'm like, I get there every day in my career in non-league. I got nowhere near it. Not even yeah. close. And I just brought him down and stuff at that level. But on a non-league scale, the best player I played against in a game was George Green. Um, we were oh, at yeah. Salford so George Green was at Salford and we were at Bridge remember that game yeah when we were away he was frightening he, and we played really well that game as well yeah. but everything went through him he just passes it outside of his boot weak foot just oh he was so good to watch and I played again, I played for with him at Chester and obviously George has got his issues off the pitch which everyone knows about if you've yeah. read about him and it's such a shame because no everyone who knows him will agree technically hands down the best player I've come across like the things he could do on a football pitch was amazing um, but best player I've played with uh, Danny Warrender I think anyone who's played with Wodge will tell you the same thing mate um, it's probably a bit boring to be honest to keep saying it because everyone asks me that question and it's not even difficult I'd say he was, he was that good of a player like again it's a shame that Wodge was the way Wodge was um, off the field because not that he had problems right? he just probably wasn't didn't want to be a pro footballer. It weren't suited yeah. to his lifestyle, um, which is a shame because we won a league and a promotion based on him being at right back, which is crazy to think. Most match-winning players tend to be through the middle of a team, don't they? Yeah. Be forward, but it, it was him, mate. I think no one would argue that he was just best captain I played for. I remember we played away at Farsley once, and I've never seen a captain do this. I've never seen a player do this before, and especially someone like Wodge. If you know Wodge, you know him for being. He's a, he's a tough guy. Like he, he, he can be times to be around, like a Roy Keane type character. And at the end of the game, Farsley away, he stood up and apologised, like nearly in tears, um, for just he'd, he'd been out the night before and not told anybody. And you know what? He didn't even have that part of a game. He just the standard that he set for us. Yeah. And he, he just apologised for his performance. Um, blamed himself. He said, "Listen, it's not some me lads. I was out last night. I didn't get until Glenn picked me up to come here." So, yeah, it, it was mad to see, but he, he was unbelievable. Bats, honestly, if you, you probably wouldn't have got to see him because he went the levels he played that when he was yeah. obviously in non-league, but he was such a good footballer, mate. He, he was out of this world, he really was. And then um, the, the next one, been, I bet there's been a lot, but the funniest player you've played with? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, this would be long now. How long have we got? <laughs> go through a bit longer there's a few funny ones I won't want to say them out loud because it might go to the red but Jordi Hume's obviously up there he's just I've, I've not come across many people like him there was a time at Ramit where there was like a group of 
few lads who were just weird. <laughs> it's the best way to describe them. It's just been weird. So I was probably in that bracket. But then there was Jordan, uh, Pua, Phil Dean, uh, Alson. And we just used to get up some of the weirdest things ever. Like there were times we were in Cornwall, uh, after, like a post-season trip after we won the playoffs. Uh, we went down to Cornwall for a few days. We drove down there on minibuses. Uh, one of the minibuses, no one was wearing clothes, just just naked. Just everyone was naked. There's like nine lads on this one minibus, not a single bit of clothing, uh, and drinks going everywhere. And it's, it's a seven-hour drive to Cornwall. <laughs> it's not an easy drive. Especially with a minibus with lads just being balanced for seven hours, just being stupid. And then we got down there and there were lads like throwing up on each other. And Gas Stopford, for instance, this was just bizarre. We've been on a night out all night. We're all absolutely leathers. We come back and Gas had backdoored it early doors. No one had seen what he'd been doing. We were staying in a hostel, like a backpacker's retreat, it was called. So proper surfing town. If you've been to Cornwall, you know exactly what I mean. Everyone down there is dead cool and all mellow. They all smoke weed and all very chilled when <laughs> we come back from this night out. The owners of our hostel were in the living room and Gaz was in the living room with an acoustic guitar with just singing. It was just bizarre. <laughs> Playing some guitar with the owners, what was wrong with you? But it was just weird. It just sent us under. And even oh, Jordan, like I say, uh, Alison's a funny lad. Even the gaffers, Jono, Jono's ruthless. Yeah. He's funny. He can be, like oh, kill a changer. Like I say, we used to have some players in a change. <laughs> I'll tell you the story. I don't know if you have to edit it, but I'll tell it you anyway. Uh, we used to have Grant. Spenno is a funny character as well. He, I've known Spenno going on 12 years. And in all that time, I don't think I've ever had a normal conversation with him, ever. It always just revolves around some form of banter from him. Like, he can't just talk. He always has to just make something funny. Or just, so anyway, Spenno used to have a strange-looking chap so we say. So he, his chat was a bit of a funny-looking penis. And when we used to sign new lads, they go into the change room. And Jono used to go, before we say anything, I'm going to introduce him. Spenno, show him your dick. I used to get Spenno to drop his checks for the new lad who'd come in just to show him what it looked like. Oh, it was, it was mad. So those types of things. But yeah, I play with characters, mate. Even Pilke. Um, Pilke's a wrong and Liam Arder, another one, very funny. So, yeah, if I'm going to put the funniest one, I'd say Jordan you know The guy can own a room on his own just from being a prat. He, he, he is funny, even on the pitch, mate. You see the celebrations, he mocks people in his celebrations and stuff. He's a, he's a funny kid, Jordan. Got a lot of time for him. Um, and then the last one before we go. Um, yeah. If you had to pick a five-a-side team from the players you've played with, yeah. um, you can pick yourself. And you oh, can play outfield if you want, if you don't want to play 100%. there. Scoring goals, mate. That's what that's my <laughs> job. Uh, no, right. So I'd, I'd, I'd be in the sticks. I'll go in there, put myself in there. Um, I won't be under too many illusions. Um, I'd probably put Gal Stopforth. Just let him run all day. Just break up everything. He even chips in with a goal as well. Um, Asante Quasi up front. Yeah. Probably the best striker I've played with um, in the game. Like I say, even in a short spell at Chester, he, the kid just scores goals, just frightening footballer. Um, then I'd probably have George Green if he turned up and he weren't thinking about other things. <laughs> um, and then who else would have put him? Oh, Diego, Dylan Giano. He's a yeah. decision. 
I, you know what? I can't believe we've overlooked him about what we're saying about ability wise. He's probably up there with George Green as well. You know, if I'm being completely honest, the kid does some stupid. My first training session, I'll go off topic there quickly. But my first training session with Buxton when I went down, uh, Diego was on the other team. Um, so he worked on my team in this little training ground game and I gave him the ball four times because I thought he was on my team because of the way he showed for it. He had me in his pocket. Everyone's like, what are you doing? He's giving me a lot of abuse. I'm like, the kid, he, I think he's on my team, but he's not. And he, he's unbelievable. He's a funny lad as well. But yeah, Diego would be the last person in that five-a-side team. So we've got the legs and we've got the, the ability as well. That's a good, um, good five-a-side team there. Yeah, uh, it's been, been good mate. to speak to you, Shents. Um, you too, mate. So thank you for coming on to the podcast and uh, hopefully we'll see you back out on the pitch sometime soon. Yeah, I'll speak to you soon anyway, mate. Well, take yeah. care. Enjoy. Right, Cheers, Paul. mate. Speak to you in a bit, mate. Ta-da.